This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. I am, my name is Anthony. I am one of the deacons here. This is actually the first time that I've preached in about five years, so kind of rusty a little bit. I feel like the Tin Man, you know, you have to put some WD-40 on me to kind of <laughs> loosen up. Um, the one thing I'm asking is that you do engage with me a bit. Um, I like to move around. I like to interact. And the way I see preaching, and I know Aaron does it well, and Wes, and everybody who comes up and preaches, is they engage the congregation. Because really what, what's going on right now isn't just you checking out and me teaching, but that we're both, in a way, exalting God's glory. And so I want to make sure that, you know, as I preach, if you feel like you want to say amen, say amen. If I tell a hilarious joke, which is bound to happen, go ahead and laugh. It is okay to laugh or uh, shout hallelujah, anything, you know, as long as you're engaging and we're exalting God together. Um, I have a lot of emotions going on right now. I'm excited um, and I'm I'm a little bit nervous. And I don't know if nervous is the right word to use, um, I said this in a conversation I had with Aaron a couple weeks ago. It's more of a, a trembling. There, there's a weight to stand here in the pulpit and to teach God's word. And I've preached at other churches and other places in front of a lot of different people. And I never had the same weight, this, this feeling of responsibility to teach God's word rightly and faithfully. And I probably should have. I just didn't have it. But I know that I had that trembling now. And so I'm not so much nervous about being in front of a group of people because I see, I see my family. But it's really this, this trembling that I have to preach God's word faithfully. And as Aaron said, I do have this crazy pain in my back even now. So if I'm kind of hunching or moving around a lot, um, that's the reason why. Um, so that kind of made me feel even more nervous, hoping that I could preach faithfully even with this pain kind of distracting me. Um, so I'm asking as I preach that you'd maybe throw a few prayers uh, my way and so that God would heal me and relieve me of this pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Dang it. Um, we are taking a break from Mark. This is a standalone, which made me even more nervous because I don't have the context or the luxury of all these weeks of, of uh, context being laid before me. I'm kind of um, preaching a, a sermon all by itself, and I'm the one setting up the context. And again, that just kind of made the trembling even more so because I knew I had to lay out this context, and I hope that I do it um, well. This sermon is going to be broken up into two parts. The first part is going to be message where I'm really going to uh, expound on some scripture and kind of walk through scripture um, regarding these two very specific topics that I'm going to preach about. And the last half is going to be my testimony, kind of how God's walked me into salvation. And then even as I met my wife and our story after that up until even today. Um, and so uh, what we're talking about today is two very important vital topics that um, are intertwined, linked inextricably, I hope I use that word right, um, with the very heartbeat of what redemption is all about. The heartbeat is Jesus Christ and his gospel. Yeah. That is the center of what redemption's all about. And these two topics are linked. They aren't the heartbeat, but they're linked with the heartbeat. And these two things, like Aaron had already said, are community and mission. 
And these two things are what I'm going to teach about today. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to share my testimony about how I've walked through and how I've made mistakes in these two specific areas um, because I have made a ton of mistakes. But God has also blessed me and my family uh, in these specific areas as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to ask for God's favor and his blessing today. And then uh, we'll get started. So let's pray. God, I, I'm depending on you completely. I want to be used by you. I want you to speak through me. Um, even have me step aside, Lord, as you do your work in our hearts. And even as I speak, Lord, that you would minister to me even. Lord, let us be humble before your word and remove anything from our mind that's distracting because there are so many distractions. Would you remove those things from our mind and even emotionally from our hearts that would uh, prevent us from focusing on you and your word today. God, I, I humbly ask for your blessing in all our lives in favor, and uh, I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. All right, so I want to go to the very beginning, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and, it's, and it goes like this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I've heard it said, um, this man, he was kind of teaching on this, this scripture, and he said the, the simplest way that it can be translated is just like this, the, the most simplest way. God said, light be, and it was. Think about that. I'll say it one more time. God said, light be, and it was. Oh, man, the awe, the, the, I feel like my heart just wants to move towards praise when I hear those words, just thinking about the power of this God that we serve that he can call into nothingness. Think about it. He can call into nothingness light, yeah. never existed before. Yeah. There's no such thing as light before this moment, but God calls into the nothingness light. And somehow this thing that never has ever existed, its ears perk up and it could hear the voice of God, light. And then it gives command, be. And the whole of creation is flooded with this thing called light. It has no choice. That is the power of the God that we serve, that he can call into nothingness something that doesn't exist, and that thing has to obey him by stepping into creation. This is the God that we serve. Now, here's a trip. That God that calls into nothingness, light be, and it was, is in this room with us now. That God is with us now, his presence. Be in awe of his presence because it's with us now. But I want to fast forward just a bit because God is calling all these things into existence simply with his words. Mountains, be, stars, be, earth, be, water, be. By the power of his voice, God is creating all things. But then he comes to the pinnacle of his creation, us, mankind. And what he does is he doesn't speak us into existence. Instead, he stoops down into the dirt of his creation and fashions together a man. And then he breathes into the nostrils of this man the breath of life. Just one breath. Think about it. It's sustained. That same breath 
sustains all of mankind. Every person in this room is sustained by this one breath. And if God were to pull that breath back, we would all perish. This is the power of the God that we serve. He said something in Genesis that was very peculiar. It was a little bit different regarding, uh, in comparison to all of um, the rest of creation. He said about man, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. He, never, he didn't say that about anything else in all of creation except for man. And so God's taking, uh, he, he's just surveying all of creation. He's looking at everything saying, oh, that's good. This is good. That's great. I like that. That's very beautiful. That's pretty. He's just taking it, right, looking at all things. And then he comes to the man, which he created, the pinnacle made in his image and his likeness. And what does he say? This is, this is not good, right? This man is alone, and that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so what does God do? This is where the, the good stuff happens, right? Puts a man to sleep. Adam takes out a rib, fashions together a woman, wakes Adam up, brings them together. And Adam's just like, boom. <laughs> he actually, the first recorded human words, Adam starts singing to Eve. He says, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Me and my wife actually have that tattooed. I have bone of my bones. Has, that's neither here nor there. So. <laughs> but Adam's just, he's enthralled. Look at that. That is awesome. Thank you, God. He starts singing to Eve. And I can only imagine the scene, right? God brings this person to him. And Adam had never pictured another person in his life. But God, making Adam in his image, knew Adam couldn't be alone. Why? Why couldn't Adam be, be, be alone if God created him in his image, right? He had a perfect relationship with God. He, had a, he was in paradise because God making him, Adam, in his image, God is a triune God. He's a God of community. For all of eternity, God has existed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are three different persons as one. That's right. One God. It's what we call the Trinity. Now, think about it. So he makes a man in his image, the triune God, making a creature in his image, seeing him alone. This is the reason he created Eve. And that's what we call community, right? The first ever community, a man and a woman, equal, different roles. And he establishes community. But he didn't just leave them to be to do whatever they want. He didn't just put them together, say, okay, now go live your life. He gave them aim. He gave them purpose. He gave them direction. He actually put them on a mission. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them purpose. So again, we see community and we see mission together. Think about this. Community and mission existed before sin ever even entered the world. It is older than sin. And what does that mean? That means that being in community and established on God's mission is part of what it means to be a human being. That you're not fully human unless you're partaking in community intimately. Unless you're on mission for God under his glory, you're not fully living out the design of what it means to be human. We see this throughout all of scripture. Even when sin entered the world, we see this happening, right? We see obviously Adam and Eve, God put them in community and put them on mission together in that community. Sin enters the world. Let's fast forward a little bit. We have Noah, right? God sees the corruption and the violence that, are, that fills the entire earth. 
And God has sorrow in his heart over making man. So he decides to flood the whole earth, but he brings the community together to himself, Noah, his wife, and his sons, and his sons' wives together onto this boat, brings together a community, floods the earth, and then he sends that community back out to fill the earth again. Community and mission. Fast forward a bit to Abram. He calls Abram out of the land of his fathers and says, Abram, I'm going to make a people out of your seed, out of your children, out of the generations that come out of you. I'm going to establish a people for my name, and they will call me their God. This is the promise he gave to Abraham. What he did with Abraham, calling him out, him and Lot together, and all their family and their servants, he brought together a community and then put them on mission. The same thing with Moses. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They, they cried out to God, and God heard their pleas. He heard their cries. And God, listening to their cries, sent Moses as, as a type of prophet to pull them out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt, and send them into the promised land again, putting them into community and sending them into mission, even with their stubbornness, even walking around for 40 years, disobeying God and, and you know, upsetting him. Uh, he still ended up pushing them into the promised land using Joshua. We see this with King David, Solomon, the judges, prophets. We see it time and time again all the way even into the ministry of Christ himself where God continually will establish a people under the banner of his name and send them off in community. This is what it is to be a human being. This is a part of our very nature. And the sad thing is a lot of us even myself, and I'm going to share more of it later, shy away from what it means to be human. We shy away from community, and we step out of mission for a million different reasons. And why is that? We look at Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were tempted and enticed by their sin, and they chose to disobey. And because of their sin, God cursed all of creation. And ever since that moment, the the knowledge of our identity in God being image bearers of God, being made in the likeness of God was lost. It was muddied. It was trampled on, twisted up. This is what happened to us. And I've noticed that throughout history, people fall generally into three different groups. Um, and maybe some in this room might fall in these different groups. The first one is the one I've already been talking about. There is a group of people that are in God's community. And they are on mission for God. Imperfect people living this mission in community. That's the first group. The second group are people who are loners, people who isolate themselves. They step outside of community. They live outside. E even if they have cliques or people that they're friends with, they're really just using those people for selfish gain or selfish reasons, but they're really all alone. They're choosing to live outside of community and their lives are aimless. They don't have a lot of purpose. They don't have a lot of reason. They're just kind of living by themselves, just trying to get through. That's the second group. And the last group that gen people generally fall into are people who are in community. They are on a mission, but it's a counterfeit, twisted, sinful mission, a sinful community. Let me give you a couple examples. So if you've been watching the news at all um, or on social media, you know that a man in Louisiana walked into a movie theater and he opened fire. And he killed two women and he injured nine other people before he turned the gun on himself and ended his own life. And the way, I only read a few articles on it, but I know that the way he was described, this, this man, was he was a drifter. 
He was a man who lived outside of community, right? He wasn't on mission for God or anything. His life was aimless. In fact, I just read an article where it says that he actually stepped into a church crying out, um, just expressing his depression because he was living outside of the community. He wasn't ingrained in it, and he wasn't on mission. And we see the result of that. And that's happened over and over and over again, right? I mean, you only have to watch the news for a couple months before you see this happening time and time again. Now, as far as in the twisted community, people who are on mission, but just a twisted counterfeit version, first thing I think of is street gangs, right? You see young boys and young girls joining these street gangs, and why? Because they know they have this community-sized hole in their heart, and it has to be filled. They know that they need people, so what do they do? They run into gangs, because these people accept them. Maybe that's all they ever know. Maybe they know that's not the right way, but they don't care because of the wickedness of their heart. But either way, they step into this false, this counterfeit community, and there is a mission. We might look at that and say, see chaos. But for them, their mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. That sounds familiar, right? But that's the anti-mission. But they're on that mission, and they're in that community. Um, I want to, I guess, bring it down to our level a bit, make it a little bit more personal, just us in this room. Because I, unless I'm wrong, I'm guessing most of us aren't running out and joining street gangs and things like that. Um, But there is a way that we might fall into these two other groups. And it's something that we should take inventory of and examine our own lives. Because it is very possible for a person to come to church every single week and go to RC groups even, or even volunteer and still be outside of true, intimate, biblical community and be outside of God's mission. And this is what I mean. Because some people get in the habit of coming to church and they volunteer because they know that they have to check off the certain list. It might be subconscious. They might not be thinking it, you know, out loud or talking about it. But on a subconscious level, they're just coming to church faithfully, serving even. But then outside of these three specific times, you take a look at the rest of their life and they're completely separated from intimate connection with God's people. And this happens all the time because it's so easy to come and get in a certain rhythm of life, check off the boxes, and then step back for the the larger majority of your life, right? And even on mission, uh, the, the motto of redemption is all of life, all for Jesus. And it's very easy to step in to a church service and to be a part of that church church service week after week but then the remainder of your life that motto all of life all for Jesus just isn't true for you I know that I've done it for years I've done it for years where I was faithfully going to a church but all of life all for Jesus that is not how my life would have been described it's just something that I think in in our context right people who come to church and attend church, that is a temptation that we might fall into. And we have to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves. So my hope today is that we would see those things and say, you know what, maybe I am stepping on the outskirts community and I'm not really engaging in God's mission and we would repent and step back into that because God is inviting us back into that all the time. This is what I want to do. I have some time, okay. Is I want to go into scripture, okay? So if you have... Your Bible, um, I'm not sure if they handed out Bibles already. Um, if you have that Bible that they handed out, it's going to be page 702. But we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
verse 9. So again, open up, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Let me find it myself here. Okay, so if you would, please stand with me. We uh, stand together in honoring God's word. And I'm just going to read verses 9 through 12. Here we go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what we see in this is a portrait of what that community on mission looks like, right? A holy nation, a people called. And then the mission part of it, we are proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That is our mission. All of life is all for Jesus. Think about it, proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. This is a portrait of a person who is established in biblical community and on godly mission. It is extremely convicting if you think about it. It's extremely convicting because it's so hard to be on mission. It's so hard to remain intimate with community. There's so many fears we have, so many insecurities, so many things that prevent us from stepping and engaging in these things. But man, that's a powerful statement. Think about it again. Proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. If I can, I want to put some flesh on it, okay? So I have two more stories from Scripture. Two people who were saved by hearing the message of the gospel. And what it looks like immediately after the decisions they made, things that they said immediately after they were saved to show what it looks like for a person who's saved and they enter into that community and step into mission. So again, I want to wrap skin on it. After I read these two stories, I'll jump into my testimony and tell you uh, just a bit about myself. So you don't have to stand for this part, but if you could open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts, it's a funny word. It's like, am I saying Acts like battle Acts or am I saying like he's acting weird? You know what I mean? Just thinking out loud here. Acts chapter 16. So I'm going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read a a small portion, and then I'm going to skip a a few passages and jump to verse 25. So just uh, hang with me here. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath, that's kind of a weird thing to say, we remained in the city some days. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud here again. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Here's the good stuff. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now what happens next is basically Paul and Silas cast out a demon out of a girl, but she was kind of like a fortune teller who made money for people. They freaked out on Paul and Silas, of course, and they had him thrown into jail. So that's the context now, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Man, when is the last time we've done that? And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself or we all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household and he had believed, that he had believed in God. We see this portrait, this glimpse of what it looks like for real people because this really happened. Lydia and the jailer were really converted and believed in Jesus by his grace. This is not just some fictional story. This stuff really happened. They were saved by the grace of God, and immediately, though they had this connection with the Father again, access because of what Jesus has done, and they knew this, they looked at Paul and Silas in a whole different light after that. They wanted a connection. They knew that there was supposed to be this connection between themselves and Paul and Silas, the people who had preached this gospel to them. And they said, you have to come to my house. I got to feed you. I got to clean your wounds. Think about that act. It was like an awakening immediately. Lydia and the jailer, upon receiving this grace, were changed so much so that they had to have Paul and Silas over. They had to serve them. They wanted it. They needed it. That's what happens to a person who experiences Christ. It's like a train wreck. Train wreck. Did I say that right? Train wreck? Yeah. It's an awakening. I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, we see both of these situations back to back where Paul and Silas are preaching God's word and these people are suddenly awake, lights on. They were dead and now they're alive. And then we see how they act immediately after. They get baptized, right? And they encourage, they want community. They want Paul and Silas to stay with them and they begin serving. They step into community and they engage in the mission, all of life, all for Jesus instantly. God works powerful wonders in the life of believers. And it, it, life, life tangles us up sometimes. And we forget these things. We forget that God's grace has pulled us out of darkness and put us into a marvelous light. And we forget to proclaim these things and live for these things, again, for a million different reasons. And I want to share some reasons that I did that. 
why I stepped out of this marvelous light and was trying to fight the community and I was trying to fight the mission because there were uh, times that I did that uh, for years. I tried to do that. And so uh, the band could go ahead and start coming up. Um, I'm just going to end with my testimony. And uh, basically this is, let me go back all the way to the beginning, okay? So I'm a teenager. I was going to church for a little while and uh, I had a friend who had been going to church all his life. I didn't grow up in church. My parents aren't Christian even to this day, um, but this was my best friend. He brought me to church. Um, and then there was a summer camp for a group called Young Life. And so I went to uh, North California. It was a camp called Woodleaf. And I was kind of girl crazy. Um, my wife just walked in. I can't believe I just said that. Um, but I, I was, okay? I'm not going to lie, all right? So I had crushes on uh, different girls, and I wasn't like a player. I mean, oh my goodness, Okay, we're in church, um, but I, I just like spending time with girls. I like talking to them and flirting with them, and that's what I was doing at camp, and it was, it was a lot of fun. There were skits and games, and um, the leaders were great, uh, had good relationships with all of them, and I like spending time with them, um, but I didn't love Jesus, right? And so somewhere in the middle of the week, the camp preacher, who I think he's a pastor in California, um, again, I'm a 16, 17-year-old kid. And he preaches the gospel, and he brought this. He had a couple kids bring up a wooden cross, and he was pouring, uh, like, colored water. It was colored red to look like blood as he preached the gospel. And I don't know exactly what he said, um, but in that moment, I remember in that message, lights just going on, just this awakening. I remember it was like I was asleep, and I I heard John Piper, a, a, a preacher, Um, in Minnesota, I think, um, he described it like this, that being saved is like God coming up to a man who's asleep and waking them up, right? And that person doesn't stay asleep and say, well, should I stay asleep or should I just wake up now? No, but they they had no, they just wake up. And that's what it was like for me. I heard this man preach the gospel and it was an awakening for me and everything changed. After that point, I remember going into my classes in high school. I think it was my senior year, and I was preaching about Jesus. I was talking about Jesus left and right. In fact, I had my art teacher who really liked me. I was in an art club and everything. She had me stay behind after class, and she said, Anthony, you got to stop talking about Jesus because people don't believe in that stuff, and you might offend people. Um, and I, I liked this teacher. She was awesome. I couldn't believe she was. I, again, didn't grow up in church. I didn't know the rules to how you speak and all this stuff, but I kept talking about Jesus anyways. I mean, it was just, I had to do it. And I remember going from one class to the next and seeing a teacher, and I'd be like, hey, Jesus loves you. And the teacher's eyes would just like, they, they didn't know how to respond. And some of these teachers are Christian, but, you know, it's kind of weird being on public, you know, campus and all that. So they were just kind of caught off guard. But, man. The biggest things that changed in my life is I had this love, this even, uh, maybe it's weird saying it, but an addiction towards God's people. I just want, I was in all kinds of Bible studies. I was in all the groups at school. I went to every church service at my church that I can go to. Um, anytime I could talk about God, I, that, that's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. It was just like I wanted to be near God's people. I was hungry for it. I ached for it all the time. I was so addicted to it. Um, yeah, just having some memories here. Yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing um, what God did in my life and the hunger that I had and um, always talking, that proclaiming the excellencies um, of him who's called me out of darkness into marvelous light, that was true for my life. As a 17-year-old kid, God woke me up 
and I was all about the people of God, and I was all about the mission. This is what happens when God wakes you up and saves you. This is what his people look like. But life tangles us up, right? I just said it. Life tangles us up. And that's what happened. Again, I want to fast forward a bit. I met my wife. I was actually a youth pastor at a church here in Phoenix, and we were sleeping together when we weren't married, right? No, yeah. Ooh, it was bad. So I ended up confessing, and uh, my boss at the time decided to let me go from that position, of course, and he had actually asked me not to come back to the church. So I remember um, spending day after day in my room depressed. I mean, I knew hundreds of people at this church, and then in one day, I was disconnected from everyone. It was, a, it was trauma for me, right? I was very outgoing, and I remember at that point, I went from being really engaging with people to be kind of cynical and judgmental and harsh. And even now, I kind of have those rough edges around me because of this experience I had. And I remember going with Ashley. We got married and we went to a church and we were there for a couple years, but eventually started making a list of things we didn't like. So we left. Then we went to another church and we were there for about a year and a half. And this is embarrassing, but I'm going to confess it. I actually wrote this long, long email of all the reasons that I was going to leave the church and I sent it to the pastor and all the leaders. Um, and I, I told them, like, I'm leaving, and these are the reasons why. Basically a list of preferences. And, and then at the end, try to say, you know, it's obviously not you guys, are, you're killing it, but I got to leave after, you know, decimating everything that they were doing. Um, and it was awful. You know, my heart was all twisted up, all messed up. So we went to another church, me and Ashley, and we were there only for a few weekends. We would skip and then we kind of go, and then we'd skip, and we were already starting to list out all these reasons why we didn't like it, all the preferences that this church went against. And so we left that church too. So finally, we came to Life Connection, which is what this, obviously a bunch of congregations formed in a redemption, Alhambra, but before the church I was at was Life Connection Church. And I remember falling deeply in love with Life Connection. I was like, this is the spot. I like wanted to come all the time. But believe it or not, because of my past experiences and the trauma that I experienced, I was starting to put together a list of reasons why I wanted to leave. Yeah. I was, we were at the other location, that strip mall over on uh, Indian School, and I remember just thinking about, okay, I don't like this, or you know, I think we could do this differently, or church should do this. All preferences, wrong things, right? And I was putting this mental list together and we had a guest preacher, Tyler Johnson, who's the head pastor over all the redemption congregations, came in, and he preached a message about sinking your roots into the community that you're at, that messy, jacked-up group of people that you're doing life with, to sink your roots in. Yeah. And he said something specific that stuck to me even to this day. He said, you have a back door open, right, a, a figurative back door open, and you're always trying to find a way to, to walk out and sneak out of that back door. He said, close the door, lock it up. And I remember just this flood of, of freedom and repentance. And I just closed that back door and I sunk in roots and I've been here ever since that moment. Oh yeah, if you're gonna clap, let's clap. Woo! Yeah. I'm clapping for you while you're clapping for me. Yeah, don't be shy. We're family. But but since that moment, since um, we decided to sink roots in, my wife and I and our three little girls, it's been, I can't explain the blessings. 
we've been a part of RC groups, redemption communities. If you don't know what those are, the kind of a combination of different things, a, a group of a family, right, coming together. There are times where we study God's word, so it's like a Bible study, but also times where we get together and we live missionally. We go out and serve the community that we're in, all these different ways. That's what a redemption community is. And we've been part of one, and these people have become ingrained in our life. Not perfect. No, not by a long shot. There's so many things that I've said, diary of the mouth. You know, I've hurt people and said things, and people hurt me in different ways, and that's community. Messy. But I've sunk my roots in, and it's been a tremendous blessing. And uh, if I could be vulnerable just for a second, I, um, I remember when I left my old church, uh, when I was let go, and uh, I had this prayer. Um, this about five years ago. I said, God, please give me friends. Please give me brothers. And uh, I came here to Live Connection and God answered that prayer. You know what I mean? So, woo! Didn't expect. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, love you too. So I look out and I see family. And I guess my concern is that many of us are, are maybe missing that. That you are staying on the outskirts. Maybe you've been hurt. I know I've been hurt. I have been hurt. Um, <clears throat> maybe you're embarrassed or insecure. Maybe you're living in sin. I don't know. But God wants you to join this community and be a part of it. And, I mean, you could join an RC group. We want you to. That's a, that's a beautiful place to start. Um, but just to step in this community with us. Be a part of the community. Don't be alone. Don't step into other communities that are twisted and sinful. But step into the community of God. That is really all I want to encourage you to do. Let me pray, and then, uh, and then we'll step into communion. God, thank you so much for the life that you've called us to and the community that you've given us even now is such a gift, such a powerful gift. Lord, let us not walk away from it. Convict our hearts, Lord. And for every person in this room that keeps that back door to the community open, that they would close it and they would lock it and they would barricade it that they would sink in their roots here and now they would engage this messy group of people, this group of people that will stumble and fall, but that will do it together in community and on mission unto your glory, God. We want to live for you entirely. We love you, Father. Thank you for making a people and thank you for inviting us into that people for not letting us wander off into our sin and our wickedness, but that you would bring us here. What a grace. What a gift. Thank you, God. Thank you. We praise you and we lift you up. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.